It is an unbelievable honor to introduce this week's guest, the truly inspirational Mo Gaudet. Mo is a former chief business officer of Google X and the author of the book Solve for Happy, where he explains his equation for happiness and teaches us the secret to joy. Mo is on a mission to help one billion people become happier, a goal that he says is totally achievable. I can certainly say that reading his book helped me through my darkest time as I listened to his words on an audiobook while walking along the river every day. Mo really did help me become happier and I am just so looking forward to hearing his three defining moments. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Mo, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are, I mean, a man of so many talents, an entrepreneur, an author, um, you know, you've been here five minutes and we've already been speaking about neuroplasticity, AI and robots. So <laughs> I can't wait to hear your story and your journey. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I feel no pressure at all now <laughs> that you set the expectations so high. Uh, I'm, I'm honored that, that I'm here. I'm honored that you enjoyed the book. Uh, it truly is, you know, my my happiest moment is when I know that uh, my work actually helps someone become happy. So, and to know that it's you, that's that's incredibly amazing. So, thank you for that. Well, thank you, and it really, it really did. I mean, I cried walking down the river listening to it as well. It's so touching and funny, and um, anyone that's listening to this must go and buy it. I recommend the audiobook because Mo's voice is wonderful, although he hates it, as yes, we've I just do. discovered. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting here in the in the studio. I'm the only one without headphones because I honestly don't like my voice. I don't know why, but I don't. So <laughs> Unbelievable. So Mo, shall we kick off with sure. what your first defining moment is? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think my first defining moment clearly was a moment when... Um, when I upset my daughter to the point that I decided to change my life. Uh, I, I think before we go into the details, let, let me just say that none of my defining moments in my life were the moments I expected them to be at all. So, you know, the moment where I bought a Ferrari was completely forgettable. The moment where I, you know, got promoted to something, you know, or the other was totally irrelevant. The moment where I gained a million dollars, lost a million dollars, whatever that is, uh, was completely irrelevant, believe it or not. And most of what people... Uh, that I speak to remember as the defining moment of their life has nothing whatsoever to do what we are what with what we are told is important in life which it should, which is really an, an an incredible invitation for people to really consider uh, what it is that we are looking for because most of what we're looking for doesn't define us and my, my first defining moment clearly I was um, uh, uh, I was born and raised in Egypt I went to a public school and public university in Egypt so you can assume I'm not educated I ended up being the chief business officer of Google X I was so successful in my career at a very very young age and I was blessed with everything every human can ever wish for and I was miserable I was totally totally a pain in the neck uh, I was horrible to my family uh, I had a wonderful wonderful woman for, as a wife who gave me two amazing children uh, I had everything that everyone can ever wish for and I was totally grumpy now I remember vividly my daughter Aya. I, I had Aya and Ali, my daughter and my son. Uh, Aya uh, was the sunshine itself, full of energy, playful, funny, fun, incredible young lady. And Aya, I think around age five or so, uh, was the reason why I could actually get out of my grumpy mood and just go and do things, right? She's the one that took us to Disney. She's the one that took us out every Saturday morning and so on and so forth. Uh, I remember vividly one day when Aya came to me with uh, one of her excited plans and I basically crushed 
her happiness. I, I can remember vividly the time where I be, sort of said, can we be a little serious here? Because I was, whatever, stressed about work or whatever that is. And I could see the happiness in my daughter's eye break. Okay, I could see it to the point that this um, manly, aggressive executive that I was literally closed my door and cried. I, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself. I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, this is it. I'm not going to ever be that person again. And that was the, ch- the, the changing moment that took me from someone who was incredibly successful but very unhappy to someone who invested 12 to, to actually the rest of my life, but 12 following years investing in understanding happiness. I attempted everything I could to figure out that happiness thing not only because I was unhappy myself, which is a horrendous feeling, I, I know many of us suffer that in, in the modern world, but because I couldn't stand transferring that unhappiness to my wonderful family. And that moment do- took me on a 12 years journey where I started to analyze happiness in the only way I could understand as an executive, as a mathematician, as an engineer. So, so I analyzed happiness in a very, um, uh, Uh, methodic uh, way, if you want. Uh, I I attempted to use lab testing uh, methodologies. I attempted to use equations uh, to understand it in a practical way. And I would then go back to the other biggest blessing of my life, which was my son, Ali. Ali was born uh, intuitively happy. He he's, he's just instinctively was always a tiny little Zen monk, really. You know, he was always happy. And I would do my research and go back to Ali and say, hey, Ali, I discovered this amazing thing. And he would go like, yes, I'm so proud of you, Papa. You could have just asked me, sort of, right? <laughs> and he would explain it to me from how the heart gets it. Okay, uh, between uh, Aya's li- approach to life, Ali's understanding of, of of happiness from the heart, and my engineering approach, I actually ended up finding a way out of my unhappiness, which is what I wrote in, in Soul for Happy, which definitely defined uh, my life in so many different ways. Wow, that's pretty incredible <laughs> defining moment to kick off. So it was, was it 12 years from that moment to finding the equation? No, I found the equation four and a half years in. So, so let's put it this way: um, like many of the of of us in the modern world, uh, I uh, I am a human, so I have a left brain and a right brain. I have emotions and emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence and, and IQ. Uh, most of us rely on our IQ. Unfortunately, the modern world conditions us to not understand and connect with our emotions as we should. And so for most of us, unfortunately, who are engaged in the modern world, spirituality and you know mysticism and, and practice of things like meditation and yoga and so on, don't go really far, okay? Uh, only, only very few of us are blessed to actually find that connection and, and are able to find happiness that way. So I was one of those, if you told me to say om, I would get very frustrated. You know, if you told me to sit down and meditate, the engineer's mind in me would say, explain to me why this is going to work before you tell me to do it. And that completely got me on the, on the wrong track. I can tell you for the first three, three and a half years of my research, uh, adamant as I was to find a path to happiness, I truly couldn't get a single word. I couldn't, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. I watched every lecture, I attended every event, I read every book I could get my hands on, and I just couldn't get it. I just could not get it. Until I decided, uh, I, around four and a half years in, to try and do it my way. And so I, I, I did the, the weirdest thing ever, which is I decided to define what happiness is from a mathematical point of view, which is crazy if you if you look at it then but it actually worked i I did what we do in a lab i took every moment in my life uh, where i ever felt happy at at that time i remember vividly 92 data points and i wrote them down on a piece of paper and i started to 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 find trend lines uh, if you know what i mean so you know i wanted to find what was common across all of the moments in my life where i where i felt happy and uh and it's uh, you know it's moments that appear to be you know, disconnected. I, I feel happy when my children smile or I feel happy when I have a good cup of coffee. There there doesn't seem to be something uh, common between those two or, you know, being in nature, which a lot of people feel happy about or being grateful, which a lot of, which makes, you know, gratitude makes a lot of people happy. Uh, until I found one trend 
that could simply be, be summarized in mathematics. And that actually completely flipped my life upside down, which is you don't actually feel happy or unhappy because of the events that take place in your life. You feel happy or unhappy because of a comparison that your brain does between those events and how you want life to be. Okay, so, you know, I always joke now that I am in London frequently that, you know, rain completely takes me by by surprise. It sometimes really upsets me. For you Londoners, it's like it doesn't appear to be there at all. It's like everyone's fine with it. You know, and, and, and the idea is that for a person who lived here long enough, you expect that rain will just pop up whenever it pops up, right? Yeah. Pop down, I don't know what the right words are. But, but for me, it's like such a strange environment. And, you know, I always say there is no inherent value of happiness in rain at all. Huh? You, you know, if you want to water your plants, you know, rain makes you happy. If you want to suntan, then rain makes you very unhappy. Now, you summarize this in an equation and it becomes your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. And that constant comparison is what uh, our brains are made for. So, so think of your brain as a survival machine. It is supposed to be there to tell you if something is wrong so that you can actually do something about it. And because, you know, our brains are always full of thoughts and we never really listen to them. When something is wrong, our brains alert us in the form of a negative emotion. That negative emotion could be sadness. It could be anxiety. It could be whatever unhappiness causing emotion. Right. And that's what unhappiness is. It's a it's a survival mechanism. It's it's the fire alarm. Right. Happiness, on the other hand, is very straightforward. It becomes those moments in your life where events of life meet your expectations. Right. And that basically means it's those it's those moments of contentment and peace. It has nothing to do with fun and parties and jumping up and down. Those are all good to have. Huh? But happiness is that peace that you have inside you because you looked at your life. You looked at your partner. You looked at your job, whatever that is. And you told yourself, I'm OK with this. I, I don't want it to change. Right. And if you get to that point, events meet or beat expectations and you find yourself happy. That's that was the starting point of my research. My, the starting point was that, oh, it's not about what life gives me. It's about the way I think about what life gives me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely it. And and reading your equation actually had such a significant change in my life. And, you know, I'm glad I have this opportunity to be speaking to you about a face to face to say that you help me to accept life as it is and find true contentment and happiness oh God, and and real an and real joy actually for exactly those reasons that you've said there is no for me sense of expecting anything more than i have but simply being incredibly happy with how life is there you go um, that's yoda himself <laughs> <laughs> I maybe yeah I am, I am yoda. um but you know how do you feel about or what do you say to people who are going through very difficult times who are simply unable to accept that i mean you must get people a lot coming to you and saying well um how through difficult periods of time or through tragedy do you maintain this belief well i think i think you know the most the, the biggest defining moment in my life was the moment when i lost my son so that that uh, that incredible mentor and friend that i had who's also my son and i tell you losing a child is by far the hardest thing you will ever i don't i hope no one ever experiences this i i promise you until today five and a half years later i truly feel that there is a physical part of my heart missing it, it just really really is unbelievably painful now losing ali uh was uh, in in a way for most people you know this is as harsh as life would be and for most people they would basically say okay so that's it life played its hand i only have one choice which is to grieve forever Right? And if I had cried for the rest of my life, if you if you had hugged Ali once, I promise you, you wouldn't blame me. Okay. Now, the question is this: What difference would it have made? Okay. And I know this sounds very unfeeling in a way, but let me take you through the logic. Huh? 
four hours after Ali died, Ali, Ali died in Dubai. I, I was at the time the vice president of Emer- No, I was actually already moved to, to Google X, but I still had very uh, close connections to Dubai. I was the vice president of emerging markets for Google for a long time, operating out of Dubai. And so I had very senior connections. Four hours after Ali died, I received a phone call from a very uh, from a top official saying, I'm so sorry, I heard of what happened. Ali died because of a medical malfunction, a mal- malpractice. And so uh, he said, would you mind if we perform an autopsy on Ali's body? And, uh, you know, if, um, you know, that would help us prove what went wrong. And I looked at his mother, most amazing woman on the planet, a hero by all means. Huh? Uh, and I said, Nibel, would you be okay if they performed an autopsy on Ali's body? And she looked at me with her, you know, teary eyes and said, would it bring Ali back? Okay. And I will tell you, at that moment, I literally put the phone down. I said, I'm going to have to call you back because that moment is true clarity. This is this is it. Hmm? True clarity is I could have cried for the next 27 years and on my deathbed, Ali would still not be back. Harsh, yes, but it's the truth of life. It needs to be expected. Do you understand that? We all die. And for some of us when, you know, who are... Um, going through life like most of us, those events will happen at very unexpected times. And harshness is going to be part of every one of our lives. Maybe my toughest test is to lose Ali. Others, their toughest test could be to have a car accident and maybe have a scratch on their cheek, right? And to them, I'm not actually minimizing that. To them, it would be as hurtful as it is for me to lose Ali, while the opposite might not be true. Right now, at that moment, there was a realization for me hmm, that there are things in life that unfortunately we have to accept. Uh, You know, in in Solve for Happy, I talk about something I call the illusion of control. hmm? And the truth is, I planned everything for Ali. Uh, you know, I, 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 I planned his tuition, I planned, uh, you know, I, I bought him an apartment so that he stays in it after, uh, you know, he graduates. I even started businesses. So, that, you know, in the fields that he was majoring in so that when he graduates, he can, you know, be uh, uh, practicing there. And then he died. What control do we really have? And when you really think about it, suddenly you realize that life is actually not what we expect it to be at all in terms of I have no control over anything in this life. You look at it this way and you realize two things. You realize one, everyone goes through harshness. Even those who succeed in life and have careers and make money and start businesses and all of that, everyone goes through their kind of harshness. So in a way, we need to feel for them. And when we're not going through harshness, we should probably be as grateful as we can be, not because everything's perfect, but at least because things are not horrible, because for many people it is. That's number one. Number two, which I think is the core of understanding of happiness, is that happiness, uh, or let's say unhappiness, is a total waste of life. You can be unhappy for as long as you want, Nothing's going to happen. You know, if if your partner uh, 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 has four hairs in his ear, okay, and, you know, a nice person buys you flowers every now and then, good man in whichever way, right? And then, but he has four hairs in his ear and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to, uh, he, he, that th- this stuff means that he doesn't like me. He's not grooming for me. I'm going to cry for the rest of my life. <laughs> do, you, do you think the four hairs will disappear by crying? Right? Do you think he will sh- suddenly show up and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I, I forgot to groom? Or is the action of actually telling him, hmm? hey, by the way, I do so much to be beautiful for you. Can you please, you know, take, take an action and be beautiful for me? It's just simple. Huh? Mm. Now, if you understand the simplicity of that silly example huh, and apply it to everything in your life, what has unhappiness brought you? Yeah. So I I was stuck in that place after they said after Nibel said would you bring would it bring Ali back, and I started to ask myself what can I do now, do I want to be stuck in that place which honestly was the lowest point of my life, right? Do I want to be stuck there, and spend the rest of my life just in that pain, or do I actually want to? I can't bring him back, hmm? but can I do something that makes tomorrow a little better than today? 
That's all I, I, I had in mind. Hmm? Little steps that make tomorrow a little better than today and after tomorrow a little better than tomorrow, hmm. right? And so you know the story. I ended up getting up to write. I wrote about what he taught me. He taught me so much about happiness with the simple intention of if I can share his message with 10 million people, hmm, then I will have honored him. You know, 10 million people will have loved him as much as I did. And that's that doesn't bring him back. Understand that. Hmm? But it still makes the world a little better. And it still makes me feel that it wasn't for nothing that he left. Now, when we start to get this, we start to understand that harshness, despite the fact that it will always show up in our life, should not cripple us. It shouldn't put us back uh, you know, and, 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 and take away our ability to engage in life. We might not be able to take the harshness, but we might be able to take actions that make our life better despite the presence of the harshness. You always say happiness is a choice. It truly is. And I think that's most important during harshness. It's so easy to be happy when everything is good, right? But it's when you... C- you know, you face adversity and tragedy and struggles, that's when you really have to stand up and step up and make that choice to be happy. Totally agree. But remember what we spoke about before before we started recording. Everything in our human abilities is a result of neuroplasticity. It's a result of constant training that actually happens easier when times are not harsh. So, So neuroplasticity is literally like going to the gym. Right. When you go to the gym, if you lift, uh, you know, shoulder presses all the time, you're going to look like a triangle because you're working your shoulders and not your lower body. If you squat all the time, you're going to look like a pair. Right. It's, it's very straightforward. Now, the same exactly happens to our skill sets, our thought processes, the way our brains work. OK. And accordingly, for those of us, and I say that with love and respect for those of us who wake up every morning, watch the BBC and hit them their heads against the wall about Brexit, you're developing Brexit dissatisfaction skills, okay? You're literally allowing yourself over and over and over again to just be discontent about mm-hmm. something hmm, that actually is a skill. Hmm? If you if you have that, so, so look at cultures at large, huh? cultures like German, uh, Western cultures in general, huh? G- German, Northern European here in the United Kingdom, Uh, where the culture is all about criticizing what's wrong with something, looking for what's wrong in it, hmm? just so that because we're so sophisticated and life should be perfect, right? Look at those cultures and how unhappy they become Mm. because they become so good at finding what's wrong with life. And and look at other cultures like, you know, Latin uh, cultures where all they want is a meal for today and dancing and loving and time with family and laughter and right it's a skill the more they exercise that hmm, the more they become able to find happiness despite the events of life Mm. now so when you when you're you're absolutely right happiness is an absolute choice and that test of applying that choice is most apparent when times are hard but the practice that you need to take in order to be ready when that test happens, happens when times are easy. So it happens when you're stuck in the tube in London and you don't tell yourself, oh my God, I hate everything, but tell yourself there are women in Africa that walk 30 miles a day to go and get themselves and their families some water, okay? At least you have access to the tube, right? And if you start to, to, to look at life that way, you practice those parts of the brain that show gratitude. And gratitude makes us happy. Why? Because it makes the happiness equation work. Yeah. It reminds us that events are meeting and beating expectations so much that we should be grateful for them. And gratitude really is something that you can learn to get good at. So oh, absolutely. L- literally, as you're saying, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It becomes second nature to be in a state of gratitude. Absolutely. And do you think in the same way, um, you were saying about someone being discontented every time they um, put on the news and listen to Brexit. And do you think discontentment is also contagious in a way? So once you start, you allow yourself to be discontented about something like that, you kind of start applying it to other areas of your life. It just becomes a sort of mental state that you're more like you sort of fall into easier. Totally. Totally. I mean, so 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 I I, I, I sometimes use the the, the example of uh, how society 
impacts on our mental state in a very simple way. Huh? A woman that's born in Saudi Arabia, regardless of her ethnicity, is grow you know grows up to believe that dressing conservatively is the right way to fit within the society. And the same woman born in Rio de Janeiro will believe that a g-string on the beach is the right way to fit in the society. Is one of them right and the other wrong? Of course, we criticize, we judge, but the truth is no. For each society, they believe what they believe. Now, we have tendency to 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 f- force each other to conform to what we expect society wants us to be. And so in societies that are critical of everything, the United Kingdom is a great example. Look at the media in the United Kingdom. 80%, 90% of the news is negative, right? It's always so critical. There is always that one politician that is supposed to piss us off. And, you know, there is always that one threat that happened last week that is going to end the world. And there is always that one child that was kidnapped. And, and you know, and you just think about that. That propagates Everyone starts to believe that unless I'm aware of all of this, I'm, I don't fit in anymore. I'm, I'm missing out on something. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not aware of any of this. Okay. And my life continues exactly the same as if I was. You know why? Because that child that was, uh, you know, missing or what, that went missing or whatever that's on Channel 4 or, or, or the BBC every morning, hmm, I can do absolutely nothing about it. I cannot engage in any way to change that news. So, yes, I need to be informed of it. I may, may need to see the picture once in case I can help. But allowing myself to to just live inside this over and over and over and wondering why I feel so bad, I'm feeling so bad. I, I should kind of, sorry, I just thought of it now and I want to actually ask you, um, in terms of that and the news and seeing things that are kind of sad or difficult, how do you deal with, feelings of empathy for others because I it's definitely something I struggle with where I find myself feeling really so sad for other people's sadness and and I I don't know how to cope with those feelings beautiful empathy is the feminine side of our ability to relate to others compassion is the masculine side of it Right. Okay, and empathy and compassion should go hand in hand so compassion is the masculine side because compassion is about taking action to alleviate the reasons for suffering to those you empathize with, for those you empathize with. So so, so empathy is the most wonderful feeling ever. If we don't have empathy, we're no longer human. And we should actually cultivate empathy within us. We should always feel, hmm? mm. but we shouldn't end with empathy. We should, we should jump into the other side of it, which, which is compassion. And compassion is, right. I need to do something about it, okay? The challenge with the modern world is this. There is so much that's wrong. And we have to feel the empathy for so much, but there is so little within our scope of compassion. And so what I decided to do at a point in my life, which completely had a massive impact on my ability to actually empathize and my ability to make a difference, was I decided to champion certain goals, right? And allow others to champion other goals. So, you know, it's not that I'm not interested in uh, the environment. I am. We spoke about that again before the before the recording. I'm I'm sincerely interested in the environment to the point where I'm actually dedicating a good portion of my life to doing something about it. But I won't uh, go out on an extension rebelli- rebellious, uh, uh, um, you know, a movement or or walk or whatever, simply because I only have so so many hours in my day, and I need to dedicate them to something or another. If you think about it that way, then I will tell you openly, if Brexit is your number one priority in life or one of your top three, give it enough priority, give it enough of your hours to do that, right? And and invest in it, but expect that as a result of that, uh, uh, of that you may not be able to focus on feminism too, right? Uh, if, if, feminine, if feminism is, is your number one priority, then ask yourself as a human, if I were to actually make a difference, how many things can I champion? And that's what I do. I champion happiness, I champion compassion, and I, ch- I champion the environment, and I champion feminism, right? And I do those because life has blessed me with enough to do more than, maybe a little more than the average person, okay? But but if you know if i were to champion only one of them and end my life that way that would be amazing right i don't champion politics 
I don't champion football. I don't look at this. I don't look at that. I don't have the bandwidth for it. As a human, if I start to tell myself I need to be aware of all of this, then I'm completely ineffective in all of them. I think that's really valuable advice. And I really loved what you said about when you can turn empathy into compassion and when you are able to have the empathy and then do something about it um and it's so true i always say you know men always want to solve your problems <laughs> you know you go to you're so different when you go to your girlfriends they just want to listen and empathize and when you go to your boyfriend or your husband usually they want to solve it yeah. <laughs> which is sometimes a good thing sometimes but, but that's actually <laughs> an interesting topic because this is my one of my my of the next books i'm working on neither is good and the other is bad huh mm. And neither in isolation is actually enough for our world at all. The fact that men jump in and talk about the solution without even listening to have enough empathy to understand the situation is stupid. Yeah. Right? As a matter of fact, most of the problems of the modern world is a result of that, is that we are so good at execution of the wrong things. All of our modern society is about, let's be amazing at making more profits. Great. It's not about more profits anymore. The environment is dying, right? Mm. You know, um, like we're so good at inventing the iPhone 11. We're executing so well. Who needs an iPhone 11? <laughs> like seriously. And and if you asked a feminine, uh, uh, you know, being of any, you know, be feminine is not man or woman, but those who empower the feminine, huh? yeah. they'll go like, but look at the bigger picture. Grasp intuition you know uh, 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 inclusion feelings sensations let's look at those things and include them let's look at other beings let's look let's look at the environment and ask ourselves is it better for society to have an iphone 11 or is it better for all being to stop consuming mm. God, i could talk to your day <laughs> <laughs> let's do it <laughs> um. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, we're here to tell you about the Loose Lips podcast. Me being Georgie Porter. And me, Samira Mighty. We are all about honesty and not holding back, especially when it comes to what's in the news. Plus, we answer your questions and give advice wherever it's asked for. Even when it's not asked for, we're all about what you're really thinking and what you really want to know. You can expect to hear a little bit of this. Darling, this is all fake. Well, what how... What kind of idiot? A little bit of this. Why am I obsessed with dating shows? I've done every one of them. <laughs> and of course, a bit of this as well. Who the hell yeah. did this? Get them now. That's the Loose Lips podcast out every Monday and not forgetting the bonus extra lippy on Thursdays. Find it wherever you found this podcast. We'll see you there. Bye. So, Mo, let's get into your next defining moment. Interesting. So my next defining moment was actually about compassion. I, I uh, It was 1992. Uh, I was a salesperson, account manager, as they called it, in IBM Egypt at the time. 1992, for, for those who may not have followed, was the largest uh, earthquake in the history of the country. And hundreds of schools got uh, destroyed as a result. Uh, I worked uh, as the account manager for the education sector, and there was a massive grant uh, given by international uh, uh, organizations to the Educational Buildings Organization. This was an organization that was uh, assigned the duty of rebuilding the schools of Egypt. The only condition for the grant 
was that they use modern technology, uh, CAD systems and GIS systems and so on, uh, as the basis for building the schools. I was a good salesman. So I uh, walked in, I asked my team at IBM, and we said, okay, we have a solution. Doesn't really work in Arabic and may not be the exact fit, but let's just go and sell it. So I sold it, like I sold every other thing in my life. Uh, four months in, I realized that uh, the CAD systems were not going to work in Arabic and that the GIS systems were actually not the right systems. And it was a $4 million deal, if I remember correctly, 4.2, 4.4, something like that, which was a big deal for, for a young salesman. And uh, it started to slip. And every month that this slipped was a month where I was tortured because so many children are not going to school because Mr. Salesman sold the wrong thing. And so I walked into the head of the organization at the time and I said, uh, sir, I, you know, uh, can, I, can I meet with the CEO? They said, okay, wait here. I waited like three hours outside. And then I walked in, I said, okay, I'm the account manager from IBM. Uh, this thing is not gonna work. I'd suggest that you cancel our order. And he said, are you crazy? Like, what are you saying? I said, look, I sold you those many things. This, 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 and that will work perfectly. This is not gonna work, buy it from Oracle. This is not gonna work, buy it from Sun. Okay, and he, you know, it was basically canceling like 2.8 million of the 4.4 or whatever. So he looked at me strange and he said, okay, come and meet me tomorrow. So he called his people in, he asked for, for opinions, and then he called me the next day and he said, no one has ever done this. I mean, you could have just kept our money. We're a government organization. We would have found out in four years. And I was like, yeah, but that's not how I want to do things. And, you know, there is... Anyway, he called me back three weeks later and gave me a direct order for $16 million which was a very defining moment in my life. He literally got me into his office and said, look, Mo, I need this, 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 and that. Would those work if I bought them from you? And I said, I'm not sure. I'm going to need a few days to find out. Went back to him and said, this and this will work. This I prefer to, to give you that instead. And those are not going to work. Get them from those vendors. And in the government sector, it wasn't allowed to. So he was a, like a minister level. And he basically said, okay, direct order, I want those things in my company for uh, you know, within two months. And that relationship continued to be that way for a very long time. Now, I learned for the first time, I think, I, 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 I tried to live an ethical life most of my life. Uh, all of my life I tried, sometimes I failed. All of us do. Uh, that story at the end of it, I actually recognized for the first time, other than what all uh, you know, business education will tell you, that there is an interesting, easy path through life, which is to do good. If you do good, a lot of things, somehow the universe conspires to help you. Somehow it, it just doesn't become you against the world. It becomes you and the universe with the world. And so I started to do that for the rest of my life. And believe it or not, I don't actually remember the last time I had to sell anything. I just sit with clients, you know, and we talk about business and what they need. And if I feel I can do the best I can for them, then I offer it and they buy it, okay? If I don't feel that I can do the best, I actually go back to my teams and say, can we build something better? Because this actually is not sellable, right? And that approach to life started to manifest in everything I do. So my attempt with One Billion Happy is a simple attempt to say, if I can try to make the world happy, you know, would that not be a nice thing? Yeah, absolutely. And you have no idea how the world is helping me. I think here in the United Kingdom was the was really the 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 beginnings of of ten million happy the mission when Channel 4's uh, uh, news clip, which became which very I famous. reposted on my Facebook when it came out. Yeah, it yeah. was it was viewed for uh, I think by day four it was viewed thirty seven million times, which was the highest viewed news clip ever produced by, wow. by Channel 4. It's now more than 100 million views. And, and you know, for someone like me, who's, who has nothing to do with happiness, I'm not like Eckhart Tolle or His Holiness the Dalai Lama or whatever, you know, to, to get the universe to help you that way is quite significant. Huh? And, you know, Paulo Coelho, uh, you know, in his, in his book, The Alchemist, which everyone has to read, basically says it very, very clearly. He says, when you know your life's purpose, the universe conspires to make it happen. And that's such an interesting place to be where you don't fight against the world, but have the whole world help you. 
Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I always say to people, you know, speaking with people who are lost and in ruts and suffering from depression, and I always say one of the first things you can do if you don't know what else to do is just to do something good and just to help someone. Totally. Um, it's always the best place to start. Totally. Um, and I absolutely agree. It's such a, it's a way to live your life by, I think, is to do good and to help others because, honestly, um, what is better then there, <laughs> see no, making someone smile there's no there's no better feeling i mean i i i lost ali as i told you this is the biggest loss ever but i i i recently in the last year or so i started to publicly say i've never been happier mm. which is really shocking if you think about it because the loss is painful but the amount of love i have received since i started to dedicate my life to making others happy is just overwhelming it truly is just overwhelming. Now, there is you, you can try to find happiness in a party or in a fancy car or good luck, okay? <laughs> there is no feeling better than to feel that you made another person happy. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and, and, and it's within our hands. You can do it every day. Could you repeat that quote that you just said again? When you know your life's purpose, the universe conspires yes. to make it happen. Yes, I see. I love that because it's all about being your authentic self. Yeah. And from your authentic self is when I think that you can really begin to manifest totally, your dreams. Totally. And it's such an interesting thing because the pace of the modern world does not allow us to actually visit ourselves at all. Yeah. We never sit down and say, what is this all about? Mm. You know, why am I here? What What am I doing here? And life purpose is not the Western definition of life purpose. It's not a big, you know, target that you set yourself by the end of your life. It's why am I here now? Absolutely. Why is my why? What is today about? Why, why why do I want to live today? Why why do I what, what do I want to learn today? How do I want to be today? I have a question for you about happiness. Um, what about the fear of being happy? Um, because <laughs> I being happy for a lot of people is kind of boring. <laughs> and actually, I think they, there is a sense of fear of reaching happiness because when you're happy, then what? Right? Because we all seem to be on this journey. Everybody's always talking about, I just want to be happy. This person, you know, we're always trying to search for happiness. And then there's a kind of fear around that because is being happy just boring? If once you achieve happiness, then what do you do? Where's the drama? Where's the excitement? Oh, yeah. And, we um, love drama, don't we? <laughs> and, and what do you say to those people? Because I, I, I have to say, I definitely used to have a fear of happiness. Now I love it and I embrace it but I know a lot of people I speak to they still suffer from that fear of it and so what so, do you say to them? So do those people I say be miserable enjoy <laughs> it right? <laughs> That's your choice I, I, I'll, I'll ask you a question uh, uh, why do we want to be healthy? Is it is it okay to wake up in the morning and have the symptoms of the flu and just go like that's great I'm just going to live with the flu I love it right? Mm. Why, why is it that we're designed to not want to get sick. It's because our optimum uh, performance, our highest possibility of survival, is when we are actually healthy, right? That's why when we, f when we get the symptoms of the flu, we do something about it, great? Right. Similarly, your optimum performance in life, your starting point, believe it or not, is when you're happy. Happy is not going out in short skirts uh, uh, on Friday night. Okay, that's not happy, that's fun, that's mm. pleasure, that's the state of escape, as I call it. Happiness is, I am okay and contented with the world as it is right now. That's your starting point. It's not your end point, believe it or not. Hmm? When you get that feeling, you're in your optimum form to perform in life. That's when you actually start to focus and say, good, I'm okay with life now. What should I actually do that really matters? Mm. That's the time when you start to make a difference. Right? Before you get to that feeling, you're struggling to find it. It's our default setting. Our default setting is to be in a state where we're okay with life and then engaging with life. Our engagement might be different. I wake up in the morning and I try to make my startup successful and you know try to make my one billion happy mission succeed, right? Others may wake up in the morning and their task for today, their mission for the next five years is to make their child become the absolute best copy of themselves, right? Does it make any difference? Is my mission better than theirs? Of course not. Of course not. That child might actually be the person that will change the world. People forget that. Now, our mission in life can only be achieved when I'm in a place where I can actually perform. And that place is a place 
of happiness. So just like when you catch the flu, you get up and run to boots and do something about it. Hmm? When you feel unhappy, get up, recognize the feeling and do something about it. What do you do about it? You read, you learn, you, you, you talk to people that are, uh, that are happy, you watch a video on YouTube, whatever it is that you do, but you never accept what the modern society has told you, which is it's okay to be unhappy. It's the price that you pay for success. That's absolute crap. As a matter of fact, people who are happy are 12% more successful. This is statistics, huh? Mm. Uh, you know, 12% more successful than people who are unhappy. Why? Because people love them, because they have the energy, because they don't waste brain cycles, you know, uh, dwelling on stuff that doesn't uh, require, uh, you know, their, their effort and time, because they can actually engage in life, put their best in life because they're happy. That's not something I've heard before talking about um, happiness as our default state. Um, and it is true. We are we are more productive and more energized. Everything kind of flows better when we're healthy physically. Um, so it, it makes absolute sense that when we're happy, if that's our default sense, that life is going to be better Absolutely. in every sense of the word and in every area of our life. And, you know, I, we all know it really. Uh, when we're happy, our relationships are better. We're mm -hmm. nicer to our partners. Mm -hmm. uh, we are nicer to our colleagues. So then we perform better. We have more, we have more physical energy as a result of happiness totally. I mean it all flows together and yeah. um, and I think that is really interesting to look at it as the default state because often I think we can fall into the trap of saying that some people are just unhappy people or some people are just negative people mm -hmm. and actually by kind of saying no our default state for everybody is happiness some people just need to spend more time like un programming that kind of themselves <laughs> yeah. to get back there yeah reset control alt delete yes. right? so, so but, but but it's true huh? look at any child so 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 the default setting of a human is how we come out of the uh, of the factory if you want right so so when we're born if we're given our basic needs for survival so warmth uh, food shelter uh, a, a reasonably safe environment, love. Love is one of our basic mm. needs for survival. And if we're given that, the child is happy. Yeah, That's the default setting. You know, the child cries when a diaper gets wet. There is a reason for unhappiness. You remove that reason and the child goes back to happiness. It's our default setting. What happens, however, is as we engage in the modern world, we start to get like, like you know, your, your default setting of your mobile phone is that it works well. Hmm? But then you start to install weird apps on it. Yeah. And, and, and those weird apps mm. start to consume your battery life. So you have to, ch to charge twice a day, yeah. right? That's exactly what happens to us. They install weird apps in our heads. It's true. I, I was saying the other day, my son is um, nearly six months old now. And I it, it, it's, it's so cute. <laughs> and I always think, isn't it amazing how he can literally just see my face and he's happy. That's it. All he has to do is see my face. <laughs> like it. how, like what kind of love is that? That's so unconditional that it just makes him smile and laugh. And I just Keep think it's- it that way. It's so, <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> it's so beautiful and absolutely, if we could all get back to that childlike state, yeah. I mean, we would all be so, so much I'll, I'll tell you, I, I totally am a child. I totally, and I'm working on it. And I achieve so much in life by being a child. We, we're told wrong. We're told that serious is better than playful. No, mm. it committed is better than uncommitted. Hmm? But committed and playful is much better than serious and playful. Okay, if I'm committed to a result and I do it in a fun way, hmm, that's much better than being committed to a result and doing it in a grumpy way. Where do we get those from? Huh? Where do we get that success is more than uh, more important than happiness? Where do we get that material possessions are the only measure of success? Mm. Where do we understand that it's okay to be unhappy as a price, as a tax to pay for success? All wrong beliefs. And there are hundreds of those. I mean, we could have one full podcast to talk about all of the wrong software they installed in our heads. Mm. And as a result, what happens? What happens is we break the happiness equation by design. We don't even go to solve it. We're constantly looking at the events, not as they are, and setting the expectations, not as we should. And so you compare the wrong parameter to the wrong parameter and you always get the wrong result. So Mo, if someone is listening and they are very um, 
they are unhappy now they're feeling low they have got the wrong apps and you know things are not good for them where would you say the starting point is because i think it's very easy to once you kind of got the ball rolling doing self-development i think is just an incredible journey and it's so exciting once you're in it it's just it's never ending and it is an amazing experience but starting can be very hard for a lot of people and where would you say is the first step to um to find happiness so I, I'm writing about this actually for my next book. I call it the happiness flowchart, and it's actually not that complicated. So, so number one is to acknowledge that feeling. To, is to uh, is to literally and for mon- for many of us, by the way, acknowledging our emotions is a no no in the modern world. Mm. Mm? We we're taught to hide our emotions, and so through a safe model, we hide them even from ourselves. And so the number one thing I want to ask people to 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 start you know taking seriously is if you feel irritated. Tell yourself, I'm irritated. You know, something is not right. I need to do something about this feeling. If you feel, you know, anxious, acknowledge it. As a matter of fact, embrace it like you would embrace a child that's going through a tough experience. I always try to use the the, the example of imagine a cute six-year-old girl that falls down and hurts her knee. What would you do to her? Would you treat her the way you treat yourself? Would you go and say, come on, get up, like we do to ourselves? Would you tell yourself, oh, there is, you tell her there is no reason to cry, you know, toughen up? We don't do that. Hmm? A six-year-old that is crying, you will go to her and hug her and say, I'm so sorry, does it hurt? Okay? You won't try to fix it. You won't try to talk. You just embrace the feeling. You'll tell her, hey, it's okay to cry. I know it hurts. That's number one. Number two is to get to a recognition in your heart that happiness is your birthright. To forget all the crap that they taught us, okay, and to recognize that it's your default setting and that it is attainable, just like going to the gym through neuroplasticity, I promise you, if you do the right things systemically, you will end up happier every day than the day before. That's number two. Number three is do the right things. You know, how, how complicated is that? Do the right things. Huh? It, uh, you know, when I wrote Soul for Happy, I said that the reasons to break the happiness equation are six and seven, six grand illusions and seven blind spots. Now, for most people, that's an overwhelming amount of information to take in. Hmm? For most readers, however, it was always one illusion and one blind spot that contributed to 90% of our unhappiness. So for me, it was the illusion of control. I, I thought that I could control all of life and that made me miserable. It was the uh, uh, blind spot of labeling because I was an executive in a fast-paced life. I judged everything, okay? Fixed those, 90% of my unhappiness went away. It's really not that complicated. Now, what I ask people to do is invest in your happiness. Watch a video, like you go to the gym, four hours, you know, one hour a day, four times a week. That's all I ask for. One hour a day, four times a week, read a book, Okay, watch a video on YouTube or spend time with people that are unha- that, that, that are happy. Okay, observe them or ask them outright, how can you be so happy when there is Brexit, right? <laughs> and then if they tell you something that is wise, you go like, ah, oh, interesting, okay, and learn. Now, when you get there, I ask people to do one more step, which is to have the compassion in them to teach others what they learned, to make others happy, right? If you start to do that, suddenly happiness becomes the center of your life. Hmm? As you're teaching people what you learned, they teach you what they, what they know, and together you build a simple community that's centered around that silly thing called happiness. Not leaning in and not you know, discussing the politics and not football and not all of the things that we dedicate our lives to, but the thing that we actually want from life, which is to be happy. So can you start a little group of people that support each other? that talk to each other about happiness, that read a book together, that watch a video together. Everything in my in, in my book is available online for free, right? You don't want to buy a book, don't buy a book. But search, listen to His Holiness the Dalai Lama as, you know, sometimes he speaks in a way that is you know, difficult for some of us, but every now and then you'll get a gold nugget. Listen to Eckhart Tolle, as slow as he reads and speaks, oh my God, the gold nuggets that he says, mm. right? And, and, you know, and, and so many, so many out there that just are dedicating their lives to make you happy. 
Absolutely. I always, uh, people are always asking me, because I'm always encouraging people to do inner work and, um, you know, develop themselves. And uh, I host self-love workshops and, and things like this. And you're always saying, well, what is inner work? And it's really, it's just learning. Mm-hmm. It's learning from other people who mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. Uh, done what you've done, essentially, you know, and found happiness and found contentment and who are willing to share their knowledge. Um, and just learning from these people constantly is, it is a, is the greatest uh, starting point it's you know everybody else is going to be your teacher everybody you meet is your teacher anyway Um, and and remember one thing that I find really interesting is to highlight that there is nothing you can do to achieve happiness happiness getting to happiness is a a process of negation you have to remove the reasons for unhappiness it's Mm -hmm. actually much easier when you see it that way Hmm? you're literally removing the, the wet diaper that's all you're doing okay and, and, and so working with people, working with others to, to ask them and say, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing to myself to become unhappy? Yeah. So if you're, you've come home from work and you're anxious because you didn't get the email from the boss that you wanted, do you simply just remove the expectation that he should have replied? So I, I, I go through, again, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mention the happiness flowchart. The happiness flowchart is very straightforward. Huh? I basically tell myself, is it true? Number one, huh? I go and check the email accurately and say, is it true that he actually didn't send the email? Hmm? Mm. Because sometimes he did and I didn't see it. Yeah. Right? If it is true, can I do something about it? Can I text him and say, hey, I'm still expecting the email? Okay. Uh, you know, if, if there is something you can do about it, do it. That's the purpose of unha- unhappiness is a fire alarm to encourage you to take action. Right. So if you're anxious, text him. If there is I love that. Can you say that again? Because I really want people to get on that point. So, so the, the purpose of unhappiness is a survival mechanism. It's a fire alarm that's telling you something's wrong with your life. Take action. Take action. I love that. Right. That's so, a golden nugget there. Okay. <laughs> so, so take action. huh? If, if there is something you can do about it, if, you know, it's not tw- midnight and you, you, you're going to, you know, upset your manager if you text, text and say, hey, I'm still expecting the email. Would you please put in the time? Right. If there is nothing you can do about it, what do you do? If, you know, if Ali left, I cannot bring him back. What do you do? You accept. You accept life as it is. And then you engage. I call, I call it committed acceptance. Huh? You accept and then commit to doing little things that make your life better, despite the fact that this email did not arrive. Okay. What can I do without that email? I can write back to my customer and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, we're a little late because my boss didn't have the time to respond today. I'm going to follow up tomorrow and make sure that I get you the answer tomorrow. And you're done. You're sleeping soundly. Life is happy. No problem whatsoever. Okay. You still didn't get the email, but you made life better despite the fact that you didn't get the email. So is it true? Is your number one question. Can I do something about it? Is your number two question. And number three is, can I accept it and make it better through committed acceptance? Thank you so much, Mo. That is such great advice. And I think and anybody listening can use that um, at any time. And if you haven't read the book, like I said, please download Solve for Happy. I recommend the audiobook so you can hear Mo's fabulous voice. But um, it, read it, listen to it, uh, go online, search your, uh, Mo's name. You know, just... You've got so much wisdom. I really oh, feel you. like a, you can't see me on this podcast, but I have been smiling from ear to ear because I feel so inspired. And, you know, listening to people like yourself is uh, really a great privilege and honor. So thank you so much. And before I take up any more of your time and I have to let you go, um, I'd just love to ask you my quick 10 fire round questions. Oh, OK. OK. Number one is your most memorable book. Uh, A New Earth, Eckhart Tolle, uh, quite an eye-opening uh, book on the topic, but I also used it to train myself. So I had the audiobook. Eckhart Tolle is an incredible teacher, but he speaks very slowly. And I was a control freak. I wanted everything to happen fast. So he taught me that the voice in my head is not me, that it's just, he calls it the thinker. And every time the voice in my head won, I forced myself to listen to the audiobook again. And so I, I listened to A New Earth 17 times until my brain, I swear, my brain would go like, no, 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 I, I'm so sorry. I'm never <laughs> going to pretend to be you again. And it was a very interesting <laughs> learning for me. So Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth, definitely a must read. Brilliant. And your favorite quote? 
My favorite quote is what I just said. Uh, uh, um, you know, when you when you know your life's purpose, uh, the universe conspires to make it happen. Your most influential mentor, Ali, my son, by far. Your go-to feel-good film. I like Forrest Gump, which is the oh, I love great Forrest film. Gump. Yeah, it is. It's the truth about life. Huh? Uh, listen, huh? this is coming from a chief business officer of Google X, so an executive that may want to claim that he made himself, right? I didn't at all. All of us are Forrest Gump. None of us actually get anywhere in life unless life plays along. It's a beautiful movie of a lighthearted approach to going through life and being successful without really having to fight the fights that we we do today. I'm going to rewatch that um, Absolutely. immediately. It's a, it's, a, it's a homework. You have to watch it every quarter. So, yeah. um, a moment where you felt most proud? A moment where I felt most proud was when, when my daughter Aya became my best friend, which was... Uh, which was a long story, but uh, it was a very deliberate um, walk to each other uh, over a year of constantly attempting to become best friends. That's really beautiful. Which she's beautiful in every way. <laughs> a song that cheers you up. A song that cheers me up. Oh my God! I I uh, I uh, receive songs from my son. I don't know if you want to believe that or not. And he changes my life constantly. If you want to know what he told me a year ago that flipped my life upside down. It was a, co a song by uh, 6AM, mm. uh, a, a rock band. Listen to the acoustic one from the album Seven. And the song is called Life is Beautiful. It's painful and cheerful and inspiring at the same time. Um, top tip for dealing with stress or a stressful event? Uh, friends, friends and people that love you. Uh, everything can be treated with love. First three things you do when you wake up. Oh, I don't do when I wake up. That's uh, a big tip. Uh, you don't do when you wake up. You be when you wake up. Uh, waking up is about visiting yourself and spending a lot. So I, I wake up every morning. I set my, uh, my timer to 25 minutes and I put my phone face down and I spend 25 minutes of total silence. Uh, and and I don't, by silence, I don't mean that I uh, am not thinking. I allow my thoughts to happen. I observe them. I acknowledge them. And I ask my brain to bring them all up. Uh, that's my first uh, activity of the day. It's not an activity of doing. It's an activity of being. Wow. I follow that by a coffee that I make very, very, very attentively. Uh, I love coffee and I love the art of making coffee. So my, I make a coffee in five minutes and then I drink it in another five minutes. And those are my first three activities. Total silence, all of them. Wow, that sounds a lot better than looking at Instagram when you wake up. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, your guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. I, I have more pleasure than all of you combined and <laughs> I don't feel guilty about any of it at all. Uh, I, I, I feel that we should treat others as we want to be treated. So anything that I bring into my life that doesn't bring harm to others is an absolutely... Uh, Welcome pleasure. And I, I add a lot of it into my life. I love that. I think that's my favorite answer to that question. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, one thing you'd like to achieve in the next year? In the next year, I want to empower my feminine completely. So I've been working really hard. I'm actually working. So, so writing is a very, uh, is a soul searching uh, process for me. I'm writing a book called Her. And her is about empowering the feminine that's in every one of us. So, Could you very briefly describe <laughs> the difference between masculine and feminine energy just for anyone that has no idea in sort of two lines? So, f so uh, f f male and female are biological uh, qualities. Uh, feminine and masculine are uh, attributes of, uh, of what makes us human. Uh, on, on the feminine side, you have attributes like intuition, like uh, creativity, like uh, um, appreciation and demonstration of beauty, like uh, resilience, like communication skills, like empathy and so on. And I have a list of a very, very long, uh, you know, research that I've done on the feminine attributes. On the masculine attributes, you have things like linear thinking, you have things like strength, yeah, you have, uh, you, you know, and uh, things like uh, action orientation, compassion and so on and so forth. Uh, 
there is a statistical correlation between those of us who have estrogen in their blood or have sort of female uh, body parts and feminine uh, qualities and uh, the you know the, uh, the opposite is also true if you have uh, uh, testosterone or male body parts you have higher association and correlation to masculine qualities but that's absolutely not a rule at all there could be uh, you know people who are male in physique but very feminine in attributes now the the challenge with uh, with our modern society is that we've glorified um, masculine traits because they are good in business and good in making money uh, you know and and we sort of sort of downplayed the feminine traits but the truth that I found is that no person has ever been born with one half and not the other as a matter of fact that's a neuros and and, and, you know neuroscientists would would see that as a defect you can't function in the world without having both qualities left brain and right brain if you want and uh, and accordingly for many of us we suppress the feminine ones including women unfortunately because we are taught to try and appear to be successful in life by behaving a little more like society expects so so the idea is those qualities are available in every one of us to a varying degree and those of us who are the most successful are the ones that are able to embrace the right quantities to which those attributes are available in them as an individual so i am not male or female i'm not masculine and feminine i'm mo and mo as my current measure on the tool is 58% feminine okay and you can measure that by by measuring which of those attributes are in you and how much you demonstrate them in the things that you do so i'm working deeply on visiting myself and understanding which of those attributes have i been suppressing if you want and how i can i how i can say you know show more of them despite my uh, deep voice Amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to read the next book. It's going to be um, the after next book. So the next book is <laughs> in publishing already. <laughs> yeah. um, my final question is who is the first person you would call to share good news? You. No, uh, no, no. Please. <laughs> I would call my daughter Aya for sure. Aww. Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, I cannot thank you enough for coming on today, for um, imparting such incredible wisdom, knowledge, um, positivity and energy into this room, onto this podcast. And I know that you are going to change the lives of a billion people I at hope least. So thank you. Help me out. If you, <laughs> if you learned anything today that you feel helped you, uh, uh, please tell two people and ask them to tell two people. This is the design of the One Billion Happy uh, mission is for us to pay it forward. If two people tell two people who tell two people, we will get to a billion in five years. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Mo. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.